and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond. I've read every book in the main series, and my co-hosts are reading the series for the first time. With me today is my friend and closest confidant, India Jones. Hello. Our producer, AJ Falleri. Hi. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, our Trigal Trade Guild Employee of the Month, Joshua Dean Baker. What's up? I'm here to take this bitch down from the inside. Let's oh, go. Oh, damn. Moneyball. <laughs> that's not what that's about. And thanks to Talk the Midler for that's that. That's not what that's about. Can I can I talk about Moneyball real quick? I... <laughs> sure. I, I don't have an intro, so Moneyball it up. Okay. Two and a half, maybe three weeks ago, YouTube was like, hey, Josh, you ever seen Moneyball? And I was like, I have seen Moneyball. It's a good flick. And it was like, what if you clicked me? And I clicked for like one 30 second scene of Moneyball. Okay. And then okay. the YouTube algorithm was like, this kid's exclusively horny for Moneyball. So for a week, a full week, all I got was more Moneyball clips. And it was so bad that on a Friday night, I rented Moneyball on Amazon Prime for $2 or $3, whatever. And then what happened Money Monday, AJ? The following Monday, it got on Netflix for free. They fucking got me. They wanted that $3 <laughs> rental fee, knowing that in a, just a moment later, it was going to be free on Netflix. And I Damn will dude. never forgive them. I don't Damn. know who them is, but they've got um. coming. I have a strong policy. I really think they should just like when you die, they should delete your YouTube recommendations and history. I feel really strong about that, you know. <laughs> okay. Do you have some questionable stuff? Is that what you're saying? No, it's not questionable. I just think it's embarrassing. Do you know what I mean? I just feel like I YouTube the most boring. It's just like how to cut my to toenails. Not that. I know how to do that. That <laughs> example. All right, AJ, cut all this from the show. Let's yeah. start the podcast. <laughs> um <laughs> Great Moneyball story, Josh, as <laughs> you can you. tell today on the show, is uh, we're talking about Midnight's Tides, chapters three, four, and five. Uh, we're cruising further along into the book, and uh, how are you feeling this fine morning, India Jones? Um, I've been better. I've definitely been better. You've been better. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, uh, I guess it's, um, it's all right. <laughs> It is a Tuesday. It's just one of those days, PV, I was the wrong person to ask that question to. <laughs> the energy is radiating off. Um, but I'm excited. Don't get me wrong. Lovely, lovely, lovely. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's kick this show into overdrive. That's You're only right. going to ask India how You're not going to ask the other two of us? Guys, come on. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Well, let me let me take my hands off the overdrive switch for a sec. <laughs> AJ, Shift how are apart. you doing? Uh, I'm Let's fine. keep it brief. It's, it's a Tuesday right, morning. He's fine. So. Josh, you're fine. You're good. I'm all right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you really like Moneyball. I think we've covered that. I actually couldn't finish it. I was kind of not in. Like, two-thirds of the way through, it, they really... It, it gets down. So first two thirds, right. though, great flick. The podcast you know is going Chris into Pratt? Over Chris Pratt is like a starring role in that. He's like so young in it. You think I don't know that, Josh? I didn't realize until I watched it this time. I was like, oh We're shit, it's Star Lord. Podcast into overdrive. <laughs> okay, here we go. You know, Jonah Chapter Hill got a. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter three. Slain by the Lethari, an eater corpse is discovered. In response, the Warlock King leads longboats out to where the Lethari ships are. 
The Warlock King conjures a fog that surrounds the ships and a terrible sound can be heard. After, the Eater can see the ships are now empty and wraiths are sent to guide them to Lether. Udanis and the other slaves prepare the Eater corpse for burial. Udanis covers the body in coins as part of the burial ritual. Udanis still hears a second heartbeat, shadowing his own. Troll returns to find his family, but Rulad isn't to be seen. He talks with his mother about the Letheri's death and how the Warlock King's magic was not crawled Emerlin. His mother, Urith, cautions him to speak on the subject. Urith is going to send them to the Stone Bowl. Troll asks his brother what this is, but fear obfuscates. Then Fear asks what it is Troll is worried Rulad might do to Mayan. In Udonis's dream, he is in a firestorm. Figures impaled with loss and betrayal. He is dragged by a warrior to the daughter Dawn, Menador. She says Lokai blood is in his body. After a few words, she rapes him and leaves. Featherwitch finds him and she thinks he is being driven mad by the Wivel's blood. In the distance, Udonis sees dragons preparing for war. Troll stands guard over the corpse for burial, and he thinks on his brother's need to win. Suddenly, a shadow figure approaches him with empty scabbards. It is Silchus Ruin, who Troll names Betrayer. Silchus Ruin was imprisoned by Father Shadow, except when he dreams. Udonis awakens, and he feels like he is among enemies. Earth tells him to prepare cloaks for the Sengar brothers to travel. Troll prepares to travel and reflect on the Theri and their need for growth, progress, and ambition. Worshipping an empty throne. Troll and his brothers travel to the Stone Bowl, a nearby holy site. There they argue about Eder sorcery, and Troll confronts Rulat about Mayan. Then in the holy site, they find bones of Kachain Chamal, bones of Wivel, and the skull of the Elaine. Here, Fear says the Warlock King seeks power, and he does not care where it comes from. Whoa, this podcast is out of control. You know, we're just going so fast that, you know. <laughs> it's out over- of control. Troll. Oh, God. Over Overdrive. That's like, what, that was what I was doing. So. Josh, you're maying me nauseous. <laughs> maying. So, India, well, the question I was going to ask was that, um, you know, I think now and, you know, we, we have a big, bigger impression of between this and chapter five, we have a bigger impression of the Tist Eater, you know. Last time, I feel like we just kind of got in a moose-bouche. And I wonder, uh, we're, we're going to talk more about it, but we see the Warlock King unveil this power, and he's kind of the leader of them, of course, and we learn more about the Sengars and, their, and the Hurth tribe. And I wonder where you're at right now with the, the Tist Eater, now that we kind of get a bigger impression of them. I think that the Tist Eater, I'm a bit confused on their origin still. I have no real difference in thought, though. I think that they are... I have a question. Let's start there. Are they insinuating that they are not fully human? Is that what I'm understanding? Well, they're not human. Is that what you mean? Yes, but also no. What are they? Well, they're they are Tist Eater. That's yes. Like a... I well, Peter, I know, but you know what I mean. They're like well, they're, they're human. Like, and, they're they're like human like. 
Yeah, are like they? Animated. Yeah. But they're not like mixed with demon, you know? No. They're they're like the Tista Andy. Like their their skin is like uh I would say like purple-ish probably or like maybe gray. It's it's usually described as gray. Yeah. Because I think the Tista Andy the are like really dark skinned, and then the Tista Eater are not quite so dark skinned. I think they've said. Yeah, okay. the and, the and, no, the Andy are like black skinned, and like the Eater are more gray skinned. Okay, then I would have to say that my thoughts on them have not changed. All right, I thought that they were a bit more of like a like a savage. Oh, okay. I guess kind of vibe because it said they have like. I don't know. I feel like when I read it, it said something about them being having like a bloodthirst or something. Being blooded so and I unblooded. Just assumed. You mean maybe? Yeah, the Sengar brothers talk about being blooded and unblooded. Well, listen, we can we can set aside if your impressions haven't changed that much. But I'm curious what you make then of this opening scene when the Warlock King kind of leads them all out, unveils this big magic, you know, sends all the boats of you know corpses to Lether. What's your read on the Warlock King's vibe? And, you know, it's it's kind of confirmed later on that he's not drawing from Crawled Emerlane, the Tist Eaters were in. His power's coming from elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, he seems kind of like um bad. He's pulling it from that thing in the hole, right? Because what they thought he was pulling it from is dead, correct? No? We don't know where he's pulling his power from yet, I think. He's supposed to be pulling from the warren they all use, but I think they've, right. I think they've realized that he's getting power from somewhere else. But once they go into that hole, they go down into the hole. The stone And then ball. they find that large, yes. And then they find that large head. Yes, thing. that's from. Yeah, the, they find bones of Kachinchamal, Elaine, all sorts of skeletons. Mm-hmm. And that's where they mention that they're like, where is he getting that power from? Why do they have that recollection there? I mean, that realization there. I don't get it. Does anyone get I, it? I think what they're realizing more is that like the the history that they all assume to be true is not exactly true you know what i mean yeah well it's in these chapters we most directly get people talking about silch's ruin as betrayer and the tisty eater as the people who were betrayed by the andy and you know obviously that stands in contrast to our reading of the prologue you know so it's like i feel like in these chapters it really solidifies how i'm not sure where i missed that how the how the eater viewed those events you know Mm -hmm. i did not know that where does it? I didn't realize that they didn't know the real story. Yeah, well, remember when we see when Udinas picks up the arrowhead, uh, which doesn't happen here. It happens in later. chapter. It happens Five. later. That guy explicitly is mentioning like they betrayed us, and Udinas is like, "That's not what they think. They think you guys betrayed them." And it's like, and then he's like, "Then why the fuck are they alive and I'm dead?" And yeah. and Udinas is just like, "I don't think about those things." <laughs> all right, we're we're a bit all over the place. Let's try and you know, I know the the podcast is in overdrive. It's hard to keep it on track sometimes, <laughs> but I'd like to uh, at least. So here's here. Let me ask you this then. So Josh, we'll come to you. Here, Troll is uh, he returns. He talks with his ma, and then he also is the. This is when he first talks to Fear about their this mission to the Stone Bowl, speculating about the Warlock King's magic, and uh, you know. We see him talk about fear later on, but this is more his dinner, direct interaction with fear. So, well, you know, I think last time you spoke about there's discussion about their relationship being a bit formal. Did you still feel that way? Like, um, how do you how do you feel these two get along? I, I still feel like there is a lot of 
tension between them, which, like, for very personal reasons. But, yeah, I do think I still stand by my, like, they have a pretty formal relationship, you know what I mean? Like, Troll is very careful to what he says to Fear, it seems like. And I also, at, at times, Troll refers to him as, like, the Weapon Master in, in like, as opposed to his brother. You know what I mean? Like, he kind of sees his status sometimes as more important than, like, their familial relationship. No. Or at least that's the impression I no, get. No, and it's interesting. I think later on, too, is when there's more of a formal discussion of what this role of Weapon Master even means to the Eater in this time, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to move it right along, I, I, I might just come to AJ for this because, um, you know, so we have this dream of Udonis in, the, in this firestorm. Mm-hmm. He is assaulted. There's more discussion of the blood, and then he sees dragons, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wonder what you make of this sequence and how you kind of piece it into what's going on with this, um, with, with Udonis. I think at the moment or in the moment, I was just like, okay, here's some stuff that's happening. I don't fully really understand what's going on. Like I understood his assault and kind of what that meant for him having two souls or whatever, not two souls. One lives in his shadow or something whatever, wherever, uh, wither is, I don't know. I got, I got that, but I didn't really, uh, I guess get what was going on until like chapter five when we get like uh, an extended Udanas, uh, wither section. Uh, yeah, I think chapter five is really when mm, that's kind of more laid out. And yeah, more, there's a more of a dialogue. Yeah. Cause this was like the first time we get, we see the word wival as well. Uh, yeah. And so I didn't know what that meant, <laughs> but then later, well, we know because the, the wival is what attacked. Him, yeah. I thought it was featherwitch. Oh, yeah. okay. I, that's what attacked featherwitch. And then he got attacked yeah, that's, by oh, it. That's kind of what right. corrupts his blood that's in the right, first that's place. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Oh, uh, yeah. this makes a lot more sense now. Okay. I Wait. think. Yeah. No, go ahead, actually. No, I didn't I didn't have anything. In that where was Udinas when that whole thing happened? And also, because like I, I still have no idea where he was. And who was that woman? Because I still don't get that either. I mean, I think he I mean he was in a dream. Daughter yeah, he was in like a dream space or something, like when when he and Featherwitch were both unconscious or whatever. I think it was that kind of space. Yeah. Where it's just kind of like he, can we in a hold or a warrant we, or something. Can we take a second, Pete? And can you break down a little bit the like daughter Dawn, father? Yeah, can shadow, we have a family tree? Yeah, you know, uh, it's because it, what confuses me is that like in some ways they feel like a pantheon. You know what I mean? Sure. But but in other ways they feel like terrible monsters. I can't really figure out what they are. Can you break it down at all yet? I think that's actually a really interesting comparison you draw. I mean, like, because I think, like, they are portrayed quite monstrously, you know? And, like, I, like, in this scene with Udonis, like, his encountering, like, is horrific, you know? And obviously there's this assault aspect, but I think to, to touch on what you're talking about, I feel like there's a real fear and a horror at like as gods, as monsters, you know? Yeah. Mm. And like, you know, there's lots of different portrayals of ascendants and gods in the series, and they're not always portrayed as monstrous and something to be afraid of or that would, you know, inspire fear. So I think an interesting comparison, but to, uh, you know, to speak about some more clarification things. So I guess to just clarify these two characters in question, Father Shadow is Scabandari Blood Eye, 
um, who is this? Who guy. was from the prologue the yes. guy who is leading the eater and betrays the Andy? Yeah, he's kind of this ancient eater leader, like a kind of Anamanda Rake equivalent okay. for the eater. So that's you know? that's Skevendari, and then the betrayer is Silchus Ruin, who was leading the Andy. Yeah, well, he was he yes. was one of those leaders, and he was a a, a brother, right, to Anamanda Rake and Anderest, and then and he was the one that they got killed by. Blood so eye, chest. yeah. But sorry, by Scavendari. And then okay. he, and then he is the betrayer now. You know. Okay, so like they, it, it kind of is like they are ascendants. They just aren't using that word, is what it feels like. Yeah, um, I, I think they are ascendants. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong but in that. The- I mean, they're definitely very powerful and soul taken. Actually, I don't know if they are and ascendants. Dead. So. I mean, they had their mortal bodies are gone and dead, so they have to be something. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't. Th- I don't think they are. A s- I, I don't know. Someone should. Cl- someone should clarify because some. But the thing is that that line can be blurry. You know. Yeah. Okay. I, I, so there's. I, I, okay. Going off of what we usually get in the uh, glossary, usually when someone's ascended, it will say ascended next to their name. Oh, it's true. Uh, yeah. But for like Scabendary Blood Eye, it just says Father Shadow. Uh, like they they don't have no, there are the word ascendant is not in the glossary at all honestly interesting uh, okay. so it could be like a proto ascendant like they are ascendants before ascendants really had a name but that seems kind of but, I don't know uh, Got to, it. to clarify uh, Menador she's called Sis Men, Menanador maybe I I've been calling her Menandere I don't know that feels better in my head. <laughs> Well, she uh, also gets called Sister Dawn. She is uh, daughter Dawn, daughter Dawn, daughter, daughter Dawn. Dawn, Sister Dawn. Sometimes. Um, <laughs> cool. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we're gonna learn more about her, and uh, but this is definitely her introduction. Mm-hmm. So maybe I don't know. I don't know how much I really want to say about it because. Oh, does it have something to do with the fact that we're doing with holds in this one rather than houses? Is that why it's kind of hard to call them ascendants? Maybe because this book is so hold heavy. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. But India, to answer your question about where this takes place, it is like kind of a dream state, I think. And it's yes. uh, Udanas comes. So is he really injured? Y- yes. yes. He does wake up actually injured. Yeah. But it is like it's like, it like happens later in the in, in these chapters, too. He's like, oh, this feels like more than a dream. But like yeah. it still kind of is a dream. But it's like. <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. It, it it seems like maybe he like fell asleep and then woke up in a war and was like, oh, no, and then fell back asleep. I don't know. And right. You know how sometimes you like fall asleep and then when you wake up, you're like covered in blood and, like, <laughs> you know, just it's casual. It's like one that of those kind of scenarios. Yeah, I really like this sequence, um, mostly because I find it uh, horrific and terrifying. And I think it's, um, yeah. And I really don't like it in that sense, but I think it's really well done. And I think it really, um, in, embodies a type of, a type of bodily horror, you know, about, um, I don't know, violation. I don't know. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. It's like very (sighs) frantic and very, yeah, it is very upsetting. Hey, what's Loquai again? What's Lockwi L O C Q U I? The Loki that again? Wyvern. It's the same. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's just their full name. I don't Let's know. Let's keep it to one name, Steve. So we talked a lot. <laughs> we t- we so we kind of rang out that whole Udonis thing, but um, that brings us back to then we we come back and trolls there and um. Troll speaks with this ghost that we learn is Silchus Ruin, and we kind of learn that he's hanging around, and when he's uh, when he's dreaming, he just is chilling out in different places. So, so what do you what do you think is going on with this ghost of Silchus Ruin, Josh? 
And um, uh, where, where do you think that's going? And where do you think that'll, uh, I don't know, any reads on that? I What I actually want to say is nothing about that. Um, okay. But in that <laughs> o- scene. Overdrive, baby. <laughs> that, that scene has trolls standing guard over the, the corpse they found. And I actually think one of the coolest things about this beginning of the book is that we are really seeing the traditions of the Tista Eater as a people. And I think it's like so interesting, like Mm. the whole covering them in coins and then the coins melting and creating a thing. And then there's this blood. Is it bloodwood? Is that what the wood's called? Mm. Uh, Darkwood? Yeah, I don't uh, think. Yeah. Spoopy wood? Something. There's something (laughs) with wood that they're very good at using. I don't know. I just like feel like so we like the breakneck pace of every book means that we don't really get to just have these moments sometimes. And I thought it was just really interesting to see like all of the interesting steps they take to like honor a deceased member of their tribe, which makes sense because they are artistic eater. They live for literally ever. I guess if they aren't killed by something else. So yeah, it makes sense that when someone dies, it's like a really huge deal that like stops the entire tribe. And I think you're I think you're touching on something I really agree with that there's a very purpose I too really feel the culture in the in this chapter in this early on time when we're just here with the family, you know? I, I think Steve's done a really good job of like ev- like it feels like yeah, this is what they do. This is what they've done for eons, you know? And I don't question it because it's just, it all feels so, I think you said purposeful. Yeah, it, it really, it, it's very good. And as for Silchest Ruin, before we before we move on, I, and I got one final question for Eng, but I got to drop the overdrive thing. You know, I just don't, I just, I can't keep it up, you know? <laughs> and it's just too much. It's, you know, we got to slow down. I just, I don't think it's working, everyone, you know? Okay. You seem heartbroken about it. Yeah, so I don't. I'm trying to think of a joke. That's why I'm, I'm, I got nothing. Well, it's because it's not funny. I I did. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not a joke. <laughs> so and that's why you can't think of anything, Josh. Okay. So, so now that the podcast is cruising at a normal speed, um, oh my god. You know, uh, we we mentioned the stone bowl earlier. There's these bones and the magic we talk about in it, and but I do want to talk a little bit about. Rulad, because it's in this scene that Troll kind of confronts Rulad about his, uh, you know, posturing and kind of aggressive moves around Fear's betrothed and Mayan. And I wonder what you think of this youngest Sengar brother, Rulad, and this kind of confrontation the two brothers have. I don't know why Troll is so invested in Fear's wife. Let Ru- why, why does it matter if he sometimes stares at her when she's in the cemetery? I, I have a feeling that if there was something happening, the fear, I mean, I think fear would have to murder Rulad, like. And, but you know, a, yeah, like, I don't know. I feel like um, Troll is like, in, when he was in front of fear and he's like, well, Rulad's like all over your woman. So aren't you going to do something <laughs> about it? And he's like, well, you're doing enough. So like, yeah, no, was, I'm good. That was sick. so. Yeah, yeah. Troll is a bit of a busybody. That is yeah. for sure. Like, I don't, and I just don't, like, I just don't know what he's exactly protecting her from, but he's just looking out. Do you feel like, I got a question for you guys. This is a real matriarchal society. Like, we hear all about how, like, all of the wives and the women in this have this, like, secret, like, they're all, like, really, really good at magic, it seems like, and they're all quite, is that not true, Pete? I feel like they, he tells his wife what to do a lot, though. 
Yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't I, say it's, it's matriarchal. I, thought, I really thought if there were moments when it felt very matriarchal. I guess I just really read that wrong. Okay. I mean, there's a, me. there, there is like a, a collection of, of magic women, I guess, but I wouldn't say that makes it matriarchal. Yeah, uh, okay. I, I think Earth uh, holds hold some yeah. power within this nuclear Sengar family, but I think... Okay, maybe I was misreading that. Okay. But, but even so, uh, to, Tomar, is that his name? Is, yeah. is, is still... Tomad? Still, Tomad, yeah. Is still very much like you know, the, the de facto leader or whatever. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's kind of explicitly laid out like that. So I just think uh, I was a little surprised by your comment there, but okay. That brings us to the end of this chapter. And, uh, before we Wait, move, why did you ask PB? What, what, t- what do you think about Rulad? Um, <laughs> well, I want to say I was a little caught off guard. I mean, I, I was ready to move on to the Patreon thing, but I, I think I was a little caught off guard by your response. I mean, like, I don't know, like Rulad is kind of like, I don't know, it, like kind of unwelcome advances leering. I feel like it's totally something to like kind of scold your younger weird brother for. Is he advancing or is he just, you know, staring at her while she stands in the cemetery? He's like showing off for her. There's mm-hmm. like a he definitely goes to where she is that yeah. night. Yeah, where like she is nobody, alone. I think the biggest part about the cemetery thing specifically is that nobody was supposed to be there, and that he Guys, was the one that showed up. I mean, yeah, he's definitely just a dumb kid. I, I, Those are my I, thoughts. I, I I almost like I can't Pete, believe I'm you're taking Pete. this take. <laughs> I'm with yeah, I'm with Pete. Like Rulad needs to get told to like this is not a cool thing he's doing. Stop. Because also we keep calling him a kid. I feel like he's like, this is like if he's in our terms, this kid's, this dude's probably like 18. He just missed the last war by a hot second. Either and way, so he's it, unblooded. I feel like this, it's like, not, it wouldn't be that cool if, if like she would, like minus the betrothal situation just doesn't seem that good vibes, you know? And then mm-hmm. like, you know, double jeopardy with the betrothed thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, but who, I mean, I, I don't know. I think I kind of agree with it. Why is it Troll's place to bring that up and not... You know, right, because I think he's just afraid that fear doesn't. I think Troll sees it as being a problem, and he's afraid that fear is going to take the India viewpoint of it's just Rulad, and then that leads to like something bad happening, and then fear having to murder his brother or something. You know, all I'm saying is if that Troll's just trying to help the family out. He's. It seems like he's kind of causing a little rift. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> it's a drama queen. He's causing yeah, a rift a if there's nothing happening, but like <laughs> he's just trying if to there's start something. something. Oh, man, I would pee. I can't even talk about this. Let's move on. I like the idea of Troll being just like this this big gossip. Um, So before we move on to, to the next chapter and stuff, can I just get a couple of clarifications for this final Hit section? Hit with those clarifices. So the, not. <laughs> I'm just going to move on. The Sengar brothers find, you know, we, we kind of talked about it earlier, so I, I, I'll try to keep it quick. But we they, they find this cave full of like bones and whatnot. <clears throat> they talk about the Kashan. Are the Kashan the Elliant, or are they different? The Elaint, the Le- Elaint. the Elaint is Father Shadow, right? Isn't, I can't I, remember. Uh, Aren't the Elaint the the people that we encountered in the in Laoric's uh, dream in the last book? Oh, Aren't Jesus. those the Elaint? Um. Well, okay. <laughs> uh... I mean, if they're different, can you just tell me what the Kashan are? The Kashan Shamal. Yeah, they're okay. So let, let, I'm just trying to oh, think about what I should tell you. Fuck, but, I don't need another word for the fucking Kachin. But God that's the it. Tist Eater's word for the Kachin Shamal. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, they don't, okay, they don't okay. add the second half of the word. Okay, I got that part. Great, thank you. And the uh, Elaint are just kind of, it's, uh, 
uh, it's like dragons kind of you know it's like there's uh, that's so, what it is yeah there's yeah. a little more to it than that but basically sure. yeah they're dragons um were they the ones that were in lorik's osric's dream place or whatever i don't think in the so. last saw many dragons in his dream that's for sure oh okay i've just seen the word elaine before um it's all around you'll see it a lot okay fine yeah i could uh, yeah okay uh and then you say in the you said in the chapter summary they just find bones you say they found the skulls of an a skull of an elaine but uh that elaine was their father shadow that is scavenger blood eye okay yes that is what i just wanted to clear that up make sure that that is what that yeah, was that is his skull destroyed yes okay and that's what causes kind of their crisis. Yeah, because they're like, nah, he's out there protecting us. And it's like, nah, he's soup's dead. Yeah, his his physical body is dead and his soul is being tortured forever. How did Fear know that? He had been brought here when Before. he became Weapon Master. Right, right, right. There right, are certain right, right. things that you get told as Weapon Master. Got it. Okay, that is all I needed cleared up there. I appreciate it. You know, no, how, like when you. you're president, you get the book of secrets as the National <laughs> yeah, Treasure yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that when you're a webmaster. Very um, topical, Josh. It's election day. Thank you. Uh, I think they're really good clarifications, AJ. And with that, before we move on to chapter four, we wanted to take a moment and thank for everyone who backed us on Patreon. Josh, who are we thanking this week? Our lovely, lovely people. This week, we'd like to say a big 10 very big books thank you too <laughs> it's like we're fucking applebee's a very special applebee's birthday yeah jake andrew jeff grumpy paul and ryan yay Woo! that's a very special applebee's birthday <laughs> thank you for supporting us we um, wish it was our birthday so we could party too hey <laughs> why the fuck do you know that because it's a it's a very simple rhyme, Josh. Um, I say it's your birthday. Uh, thanks very much, everyone, for uh, any amount that you give. Uh, especially thanks this week to our new patrons. We're happy to be back saying our patron names because we appreciate you so very much. All right, thanks so much, and let's keep this bad boy moving. AJ, do you want to read the next chapter? Yeah, I'll kick it into overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 4 Saren watches Banatis Sengar approach. She speaks to Banatis about the seal hunt and the warlock king. Hull speaks on the coming negotiations and the Lathari people's belief in progress. Saren believes war will come. Breeze and Garen Ebericht watch a Tarenthal half-blood named Ublala Pung survive the drowning. A ceremonial trial where the Lothari try to swim across the canal with their debts on their back. In years past, Garen Eberich saved the king from assassination and has had total immunity since then, killing dozens of people without repercussions. He has become rich and does as he pleases. Eberich consults with Breeze, sharing his anxieties about Hull and the Great Meeting, and that Tahul might be doing something dangerous as well that Tahul's poverty might be a ruse for something else. After discussing the threat Ebrecht might pose to them, Tahul tells Bug to hire a thief. The thief in question is a drowned woman, Shirk Elal, who Bug convinces to meet with Tahul. In the meantime, Tahul introduces Ubalapung to Shand and the others as their bodyguard. Breeze speaks with Preda and the first concubine about his meeting with Garen Ebrecht. 
reporting on some details. Together, they worry about the Queen's desire for war, the impending Great Meeting, and talk about Eberich's list of people to kill. Tahul meets with Shirk, and they discuss employment. Tahul needs an undead person for his schemes, and she agrees. Shirk says there are others, including a child living on the grounds of the Azeth Tower. Shirk tells Tahul that the child has forgotten her life. Finally, they agree to work together, only under the condition that Shirk can feel pleasure again. Breeze comes and finds his younger brother. They speak together of their eldest brother, Hull, their parents, and of cowardice. Breeze warns him of Ebricht, Tahul is unconcerned, and Breeze leaves. On his way out, he spots where one of Ebricht's spies were, but now there is only a trail of blood. At the grounds of the Azath Tower, Shirk speaks with an undead girl named Kettle. Kettle says she had killed the spy, and they speak together of the Azath Tower's thirst for bodies, that the Azath Tower is restless, that five prisoners are getting out, and that the house is weakening. Shirk says she will tell Kettle who to kill and feed to the Azath. A prisoner from within the Azath hears the two talking, thinking of the house's desperation and the Toblakai desperate to be free. Inge, at the start of this chapter, we find uh, Saren and Hull, and it's the only time we check in with Hull, and uh, they check in with Benita Singar, and Saren seems kind of friendly with uh, them in a way. What are you, uh, what, what, how are you feeling about Saren and uh, this kind of elder brooding Bedic brother? I, I liked their conversation. Well, actually, I didn't like it, but I thought that their conversation about like the difference between um, men and women communicating was strange. I thought it was funny. That's why I liked it, because I thought it was just kind of stupid. But I do. I think that they have um, like a good little banter situation going on, and I enjoy them as a little duo. Mm. Yeah, that conversation stuck me as, you know, confusing as well. Kind of stupid, right? A little silly? Yeah, I think so. But I'm going to leave that there, and uh, unless, uh, I don't know, do either of you have anything to contribute to the whole leg of our three-legged Bedic brother stool? No, as a whole, this, this scene really didn't speak to me. Uh, I just really love Saren Padak's point of view. I think it's it's really great. What's speaking to you about it, buddy? I don't know, honestly. I think uh, I, I wrote this in my, my later chapter notes, but I think it's just like how sure she is of some things, but how she's slowly realizing that, like, I don't know, she doesn't really know as much as she thought she did, but is still kind of maintaining that ruse of, like, understanding everything. I don't know. I just think it's interesting. And seeing the Hull stuff through her and not actually seeing Hull's like exact thoughts is neat. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, she is probably my favorite character in this book. Yeah, she rules. And um, uh, I think I'll probably speak more about that later on because it's still pretty early on in the book. But yep. um, I, too, really uh, grok with Saren Ped Doc. <laughs> I tried, you know, I tried to make it work, didn't work, but, um, you know, I would say between that, the overdrive thing, I'm, I feel like I'm batting zero for two today, you know? So, uh, this brings us to, uh, you know, so it's established there's this, con- these canals that the kind of indebted are trying to swim across with their debts on their back. And, um, both Bryce watches this and then Tahul watch this and we learn all about, uh, this Garen Eberich character who has the king's, uh, 
you know, leave to kind of kill whoever he wants. So we'll learn all about that storyline. He had kind of has this rival with Tehol, and this is all happening as this uh, Ubala Pung is uh, swimming, and he is a uh, half blood. Tarthanol is quite a big dude. And uh, Josh, you were raising your hand in a fervor to speak on this uh, section. I wonder what 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 led you to that. Yes. So I want to say that this part of the book is so reminiscent to me of the Corbel Brooch and Bocalane novellas. Uh, the Letheri City is like, if you haven't listened to our episode, one of the Bocalane short stories is about a town that is like obsessed with health. And in this case, it's a town obsessed with wealth. And there's just so many like little quirky things about this culture and civilization that are like at first glance morbid like how terrible they have to they you know they have to swim across this with their debt but like when you look just a little bit further it's really funny <laughs> it is just top-notch comedy gold uh everything about this scene is incredible there is a man with four lungs and another special endowment that his race gives nice. him and he just like you know casually walks across the riverbed, and he's being bet upon by a man who we later find out uh, just can kill anybody because he because there's I don't know everything about it is comedy gold to me, and I could read about this city for books and books and books and books. I don't think I'll get the chance to because something tells me it'll get obliterated at some point <laughs> in the series. But like I want to be in all of this. I want to see the Lefairy all the time. They're my new favorites. This is I second that. I really, really enjoyed that scene as well. Third, uh, I thought it was hilarious as well. I'm kind of shocked by all this. So, Inge, you just thought it was kind of funny, enjoyed the the swimming of it all, I guess? I really enjoy the idea of making somebody swim <coughs> across a body of water with pounds and pounds of debt on their back, as if that's even a feat that somebody can do. Except then somebody does do it, and he's just like, yeah, I have four lungs, you fucking morons. <laughs> and I liked it. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. I'm a bit befuddled, but that's fine. Uh, and I just- Why are you befuddled, Pete? Because I am, and I just want to- I want not to- I want to know why. And I just want to note I appreciate it, you know, I think there's a little debt metaphor going on. Oh, and, yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, obviously here at this moment, we are also really introducing, we learn the whole backstory of this Garen- Eberick character. And uh, Josh, what is your read on this Garen Eberick who uh, seems to have some plans of his own? At first glance, was very into him. The more I read, the more I'm like, ooh, I still kind of think you're kind of like an interesting character, but you are really scummy. But like, don't hate the player, hate the game, you know? Like if you're living in a civilization that just like doing one big deed gives you the ability to murder forever, like... Yeah, you take that. You take your shot. I will say, it does seem like a bad way to run a government. You know, like <laughs> yeah. one if guy. I have to, got, it, one guy yeah. did me a favor for life. No rules apply to him. If all I have to do is like rig the brakes of the president's car, and when he careens off a cliff, I have to be waiting at the bottom to get him out of the car, and that gives me freedom forever to do whatever. Like everyone's taking that shot, and um. So that, that also, I I, I want to know uh, for AJ in India. Did I immediately assumed that he had hired the assassins when he told when like when we first heard the story of him saving like the king. miraculously saving the king from assassins? I was like that a hundred percent sounds like he just staged this assassination <laughs> attempt. 
Because I was like, I don't even think he was like the royal guard. Like, why was he even mm. there? Did you guys catch that? Or was it like the oh, a reveal for you? Um, Something rubbed me the wrong way when it was like, there was a sorcerer and blah, blah, blah. And he just like stabbed the sorcerer in the back. It's like, okay, well, this seems yeah, yeah. like n- unlikely, but okay. But nothing really I was like explicitly surprised by, but I was, you know, something was off. Well, Josh, let me press you on this a little further then. So I know you're feeling a little suspicious about him. But then Bryce was the one talking to him. And then later he goes, discusses this meeting uh, and some of the greater politics with the Preta and the first concubine. And they they too are speculating about how trustworthy Garen Eberich is. And and I wonder what you make of Bryce here. And I wonder what you make of him as a political actor. I don't, well... It's tough. I feel like he's uh, really fulfilling the role of, I don't know, actually, because a lot of the times when you see like the soldier who's out of his depth in politics, right? Like it's because like, I don't actually think Bryce is that out of his depth because that's kind of why I I asked you that, right? Yeah, because most of the time they're just getting like convinced by every bad person left and right. But like Bryce is like, no, no, no. I clearly see who the bad people are and I know who the good people are and I exclusively talk with them. And I, I feel like that's a very refreshing take. Because it's like, so often it's like, oh, look at me. I'm really, really good at a sword. Anything else? Bumbling fucking idiot. Critical yeah. thought? Uh, Bryce is a... a <laughs> what? Yeah, Bryce is a pretty confident, a competent fella for the most part. So, I don't know. I, I like his character. And he's not like... I also feel like he's not going to get trapped by like some sort of weird honor trope mm. that causes him to have to like you know go to his death or whatever i feel like he's like a pretty he's just gonna like do the smart thing well let me follow that up then and, and aj you know i know we we i feel like early on in chapter two it's kind of a barrage but do you feel like you have a better grasp of uh kind of what's going on in the theory court politics in this chapter yeah i definitely i felt like i had a full grasp of like the ins and outs kind of you know the rough ins and outs of of how things are are kind of run in leather and and stuff. I I do I fully agree with Josh that I could read a whole book just about leather. Uh, I think this is by far the most interesting storyline in the whole book. Sorry to my boy Troll Sangar, but man, the Bedek, the Bedek brothers are a hundred yeah. million times more interesting than anything going on yeah, in the Sangar yeah. household. You are correct. Yeah. But but yeah, I, 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 I do. I feel better than I did, you know, when we first got introduced to this new place. I feel like I kind of know what's what's going on and how we're how it's going to go. I think that's a really interesting comparison you drew, Josh, between that corporal brooch from Botchland novella. I think it's called The Healthy Dead. Yes. Yes. So that brings us to the middle <laughs> Bedek's brother, Tehol, who is uh you know, he's got his schemes. He sets out to hire a thief. And the uh, he introduces Ublala Pung to Shand and the others. And then he meets Shurak Alal, this kind of undead thief, who they kind of make this agreement to start working together. So, India, what did you make of... Uh, how are you feeling about Tehol? And what did you think make about these two new people he's kind of roped into this operation, the undead thief Shurak Alal, Shurak Alal and Ubala Pong? I really like this quirky partnership. I wish, I know he talks about it with his little friend, whatever his name is. Bug. But, Bug, yeah. His rationale for selecting these people, I think is very, very, very interesting and funny. Yes, I yes. really like Shurak. Shurk. Shurk. Sure. Yeah. I think that she's cool and dead and that's fun. And then the <laughs> other guy, I think, why is he scared of women? That's the funniest yeah. thing. 
this massive man is just That's like naked. three. He's like, oh no, there's <laughs> three of them. That's great. That's two more of them's okay. I thought that. So I just, I don't know. I think it's funny. I think it's silly. And that, and that's pretty much it. Um, You're having a good time. I do. I'm, yeah, I mean, I think that I'm, I'm just having a good time. Uh, Josh, I think last time you mentioned you were having quite a fun with uh, Mr. Uh, Tehelbedek. Tehel is still my favorite character in a main series Mal- M- Malazan book. I, I love him. Well, so uh, maybe I'll come back to Inj then because, you know, we're having fun with the whole fun hour, you know, with his kind of quirky sidekicks and all this. But then Bryce shows up and uh, Bryce and Tehol, I would say, have an emotionally charged conversation on the roof about their elder brother and their parents. And it's the first time we see the Bedek brothers act, uh, interact together. Um, What did you make of this conversation and, and what did you read of their family dynamic? So... This conversation was the one about um, the guy in the restaurant, right? No, that was when I don't that remember. was. Br- I literally don't. That was Breeze and Garen Ebrecht talking at the restaurant. And there, and then he went to his brother's house and was talking about what? Their other brother. They're talking about Hull and oh, what Hull. he's doing. Oh yes, yes, and his plans to to go. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's been a mm-hmm. while. I feel like their relationship is very i don't know it seems like they keep a lot of i don't i don't think that they're very forthcoming with a lot of information that they have and what they're doing i i i feel like their relationship must be very strained for some reason because even um Bryce Bryce doesn't really know what Tehol is doing or planning and they also are just like and Hull is kind of doing something crazy right now and i'm not really sure like if this should be like they 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 just seem very disjointed i guess and yeah i don't know i think that they're not very they don't have a very good relationship i don't know what happened that caused them to be so separate and um working as a brotherly team but they definitely are not i really liked this scene as well you know there's some allusions directly to their parents and kind of what their their family history but i also think uh i also think back to scenes between sarah and hull where it's kind of clear through characterization between them that um, obviously they kind of have a romantic past, right? Or like a a charged past. And I think it's in conversations like this between Bryce and Tell that you can see that like, you know, they're just kind of talking about other stuff, but it's still very charged. And you can tell that like they don't get along or that they're, you know, that there's this rift between them and they're withholding from each other. And I think it's just, uh, I think in a scene like this, Erickson does a great job of characterizing these two and showing their relationship and what it's like to be in it and letting that speak for itself. And uh, AJ, I wonder what you make of this scene between the two brothers on the roof. Uh, I thought it was neat to see uh, Tehal in like a, I don't want to say like he was evenly matched, but I, but it, it, he was on his back foot. Yeah, it was. It, it, he, he was obviously talking to someone who has dealt with his shit for so long <laughs> that they know how to just like counter and like, you know, just disregard the, the bullshit that he's spouting and to be like, no, like <laughs> this is the actual thing we're talking about. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And I think that's like Tahul is very much like a Krupp type character where he's just like being goofy, but he has these ulterior motives and like nobody really knows what they are. But to introduce this like family member into that formula, I think is really, really, I think that's really cool and interesting to be like, oh, they don't have a leg up on everyone. Like 
some people see through their shit and it's like it's so great that it's that it is uh you know his brother uh, i just think it's that's really good i fully agree and that brings us to this final part of the chapter india where shirk uh, goes to the grounds of the azaf tower and talks with this uh young undead girl kettle and i wonder what you make of these two undead women talking and talking about how to feed the tower and these things what you, what you make of this scene okay i'm very off put by a child mm. murderer i'll start with okay. that i also feel very bad for kettle because she seems very like like she she's a she's very lonely there i feel i don't know so i felt i felt very like weird about that and sad i don't know maybe it's my maternal instincts <laughs> kicking in as for the azath azath tower place how are these people able to get out of it? And why is it? And, and it's dying because it needs more people. It needs more blood, baby. Is that how it's always run? Is that how it's always been? Like, did we know this before or no? I didn't. Like these Azath, because this is the same as all the other ones, right? Like, it's just like in a different place. Correct or not correct? I think this, I don't know. I don't understand it really. Yeah, it this fe feels it feels a lot more like the like do they like the one from blood? Dead House Gates, you know, has trapped all those people, and it felt kind of I like that. But like you know, that was such a crazy thing. I don't think we talked about if blood would get them out or not. Well, the point isn't to get them out, right? It's to oh keep yeah, you're them right, in. you're right, you're right. Yeah, I guess I don't really know. And we want those Toblakai <laughs> to stay in. Yes. I feel like five Toblakai could kill a nation. I feel like they're gonna get I, out. Yeah, I, I feel think, like they're. I think they have to. Yeah, I'm pretty confident they're going to get out of there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's uh, strange that they're now going to also on the side be trying to get people to put in that to kill people to put in that house. Um, but, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not surprised. Well, and that's that. I think let's keep things moving then and talk about chapter five. Chapter five. Udinas finally speaks to the wraith inside of him. Its name is Wither, the spirit of a tisty Andy slain by the Eater. Wither speaks of the Eater's betrayal, and he thinks the other Shadow Wraiths must be tisty Andy as well. Udinas digs up an arrowhead for resurrection. Saren's caravan nears the Hyrath. Benatus sees the smoke denoting a funeral. He goes ahead. Hull and Saren speak of what to do when they meet with the Eater, and plots in Lether. On the trail, Silchas Ruin appears to them as a ghost. Silchas speaks of innocence and dragons. Then finally, Baruch warns about the prophecy and that all of the holds are awakening. Preparations for war are being made and the Sengar brothers are to leave on the next day to go on the Warlock King's quest. In Udinas' dream, he is on ice. Kashin Shamal, Eder, Andy, all frozen in place. Udinas follows footprints, tracking him through the snow to the sounds of battle. Then is on leather wings and sees Silchas Ruin as a dragon. He awakens in his bed and talks to Wither. The slave will travel to where Wither died, and Wither says he will take care of the eater. In the household, Mayan joins the family. Together, they speak of the brothers' impending journey and the old sorcery of the ice fields. Uruth speaks of tides of change, they agree there will be war. Rulad speaks about his anxiety that he will be ritually slaughtered by the Warlock King to start the war, but Tomad eases his fear. Udinas then drops a plate and everyone sees his bloody cracked hands. Uruth probes his mind but declares he is not possessed, 
and the slave passes out. Featherwitch takes Udinas away and then talks with the man. Udinas thinks that the wraith must have hidden, and he tells Featherwitch that the slave has a plan to repay his debts. You know what? I feel like it's a real Austin Powers situation over here. I've lost my mojo, and um, I, 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 the overdrive thing worked. I just, I don't have it in me. You know, today's not the day. So, AJ, why don't you step up to the plate and why, just like, why don't you run the ship for this last last chapter? You know, I love that. That's love hilarious. This. Let's do it. Sure, maybe. I don't know. Um, so. Oh my God! Who did? Who did we just? Uh, for we just the, for the listeners answer. at home, Peter has really just encased himself in a gigantic yeah. blanket. Well, the, the big issue. The big issue is that is now we're back to uh, standard time. We are out of daylight savings, so we are now fourteen hours away from Pete in Japan, as opposed daylight to daylight savings time. As opposed to, to thirteen hours. So as we're recording this, it is now eleven thirty on a Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> that was a wrath of that was a wrath of Khan impression. Oh, very good. And he gets up really early. Yeah, that as well. Um, so Josh. That's my name. Uh we know Udinas has had this, you know, these two heartbeats for a while, uh, and all that stuff, but now he finally speaks to the voice within, uh, and we learn that his name is Wither, and he gets Udinas to dig up an arrowhead. What do you what do you what do you think of all the wither stuff? It made me really jealous that I don't have a shadow wraith. Um, <laughs> I think it would be pretty fucking cool to just like have a you know. My Is that your kid. impression? Seems bad to me, bro. <laughs> no, I really like. I think wither's pretty chill. Definitely no ulterior motives. Um, and I think it'd be really cool if I could just <laughs> I've like never, tell I've my. Never been okay. Sorry, you should let I me just, speak. I just think it'd be really cool if I could be like. Shadow, what's yo look like this now? Really freak this dude out. Like that'd be really cool. Um, I've never been possessed by a ghost, but it could be fun. <laughs> I'm just saying it doesn't seem possessed, you know? It's like they're sharing ownership, you know? It's 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 like a partnership kind of deal. Mm. He's renting space in his body. <laughs> yes. 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 And the payment is death to the eater. <laughs> I feel like my I feel like my body's full up. I got as many souls in here as I I can handle. You well, know? my body is a temple, but it is a temple to Father Shadow. So get in here, please. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, cool. Uh, hey, that's right. AJ, you're we're der- I'm derailing the show today, baby. <laughs> I mean, whatever, man. Um, I have a question. India, take the reins. No rules. <laughs> Everyone's host. Everyone's <laughs> host. So, what do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. About the dragon. Yeah. About, about Udana seeing the dragons and stuff? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. pretty metal. Pretty metal. Yeah. That was it was it was it was a lot. <laughs> what did you think about the dragons? I was every time I hear dragons now, I exclusively think about that um that like dragon that's all chained up in the other the book. The crucified <laughs> one. I at the beginning of this book, I actually thought when we saw Siltras ruin, I thought he was gonna end up becoming that because Scalamander was just like this or no. When uh the Jagat was like, There's only one thing to do about this dude, I thought they were gonna crucify uh, Skavandari, but then they just mm. murdered him. Mm. So, um, no. Oh, he's back. No, I've what? got it this time. <laughs> so, Pete, I 
similar to know we see uh you know we see a lot of action from Silchas Ruin from uh, Daughter Dawn. Why do you think it is that the Eater Gods are so quick to intervene uh with with all the happenings here as opposed to in Malazan it seems a very measured approach by the Ascendants over there but here it seems like they're really just you know, they're just hanging loose, you know, bad vibing, question, bad question. And I disagree with your premise. <laughs> and here's why, Josh, you know, I think the idea that other ascendants are like holding back or not meddling is very far off. <laughs> Literally everyone all the time is like, you know what? I should probably get in there. I've know? got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, they just, there's very hands-on, very micromanagey. You know, they sh- should get some middle managers, take a step back, you know? <laughs> and, you know, so I just think, I, you know, I just, uh, you know, you know, you know? It's an interesting thought, you know? <laughs> I'm trying to do my best Peter impression. Yeah. Let me I'm do gonna, it. I'm gonna, well, sorry. I'm, 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 I'm getting the show back on the track. Oh, I was about to do it. Okay. All right. All right. Um, you just don't trust so me. This, I get it. All right, all right, AJ, you're doing it. Cut, cut out, cut it out. No. AJ's in charge. No, no, no. AJ's in charge. AJ's in charge. So, Josh, you bring up this point about uh, the the ascendance and stuff being hands on. But uh, what did you think about uh, the ghost of Silch's Ruin being very hands on uh, with all those rats and stuff? I hate mice. I'm a noted rodent hater of all varieties, uh, and so. Even uh, Mickey Mice? Uh, well, I'm not a fucking Disney, Disney adult. stan, so yeah, I don't have a follow-up joke to that. Um, <laughs> I don't know, it was, it was a weird move, right? Like, it was a, it was very spoopy, you know, mice everywhere. I don't really know what it accomplished, though. He was just kind of being, like, fucking angsty. Yeah, it did just seem like he was like, hey, there used to be stuff here. All right, yeah, see ya. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was really kind of confused what he was going for. Yeah, well, the fact that he was just like, I'm out. If you turn into a ghost when you would dream, I think that's all right if you spend some time just going around spooping people, though. (laughs) But why the rats? So let me get this right. You're here for spoop, but not for shadow wraith possession. Is that that your official stance? Yes. But buckle me in, baby. (laughs) I I just don't know. All right, Pete, bring us us home, Pete. Pete, you buckled up, and you know what that means. We're launching back into overdrive, baby. <laughs> Buckle the fuck up. Let's go, Pete. I think I'm going to add a sound effect every time we say overdrive to this episode. <laughs> um, so, Udonis has this other dream, and this one's in ice. This wild um, dream. And uh, AJ, I spoke to you about the fire one. I wonder what you make of this contrasting dream in this this chapter. I didn't even make the connection that one was fire and one was ice uh, until <laughs> right this second, but that's interesting. Holy shit. You've cracked it. This is a song of ice and fire. <laughs> oh, this oh, is my God, books. we did it. Oh my God, bro. <laughs> Jesus. No, I thought this was wild. It was just, it, it, it was reminiscent of the Haboric Jade Hand vision dream, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But I kind of understood what was happening here a little more, but still not fully. <laughs> Just like I know that whenever there's ice around, it's like, okay, Jagat, great. I got that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I thought it was wild. I think it's interesting how now we have the uh, Sengar brothers and Udanas who who understand that the Eater legends or whatever are wrong. This mythic history of betrayal. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think is that's that's a pretty interesting thing and i think this is um i think this is a, a neat turn from the just the beginning of chapter five where udanas was like well i don't know the eater are fine i guess to like now being fully on board to just like destroy them 
Like it's a pretty big 180. <laughs> it's a very big 180 in like 20 pages. It's great. Well, before we fully touch on that fine kind of final sequence between Udonis and the rest of the family, I did want to just quick ask Inge. So the brothers are about to head north on this quest for the warlock king. And like, I wonder what you make of it and what do you think they're going to find when they go north? I think that they're going to find something bad that explains why the king is bad. You know, it sounds like you're doing one of those games where everyone goes around in the circle and completes the next word in the sentence, but it's it's just it's just it's just, you. It's just me. It's just me. You, you caught me off guard with a question I can't answer. Is this man going to sacrifice them or what? I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. Is now, that won't what we? he's sending them there for? I don't know. Does he want two of them to kill one of them? Is there like a you secret know, where, plan going on? I where don't did know. Rulon, where did Rulon get this? Where yeah. is he like, I'm to bed three women and then get murdered. And I was like, this seems very intense, Rulon. And he like named the three women that he's pretty sure. I was like, what? Where did he you is angst. This? A lot of angst. Yeah. So I think you're kind of touching on Rulon there in that final scene with the rest of the family and Mayans there. She plays a big part of that scene. Mm. And then Udonis is there, and then he drops the plates, and it's a big party foul. And uh, <laughs> what I, I, his hands? They got uh, burned in the dream. Uh, I'm so sick of these fucking dreams. Yeah. So what did you make of this kind of big party sequence? Uh, bad way to describe it, but, <laughs> but you got it. AJ, what'd you, make, what'd you think of it? No, I mean, I thought it was cool. I thought it was interesting to see... Uh, Mayan Mayan take more of a an active role in the story as opposed to just being fears betrothed um, and Rulad's weird love interest. I think that was nice to see her actually be kind of a character. But I I just think I think the the part that worked for me the most in this chapter is when uh, Udinas drops the plate. It's immediately after. Uh, hold on, I don't remember who it is. I think is it. Rulad is naming the three women he has to bed or whatever, and one of them is uh, Menandere, and that is when Udnas drops the plate. And from that, from oh. up until then, we were at in in Troll's point of view. And then when the plate is dropped, I was like, "Oh, Udnas is here!" <laughs> and then it, it it was indeed Udnas. Um, I thought that was that was good writing. I agree. It's a nice. It's a good character transition. Yeah. I did not catch that. Haha, um, ha, get fucked. <laughs> no, so yeah, so that's it's, right. This is a competition show now. <laughs> okay. But no, I, I did. I just basically, I thought that it was great that that Mayan took more of a, an actual kind of role. And I'm curious to see what this adventure looks like for these Sengar boys. Well, we're gonna have to see where the story goes uh, as this quest continues from the Eder. And uh, so last week, I think we did two, but this week, I think we're just gonna do one. And Josh, I wonder if you could share. In this uh, brother zone, bro- brother, brother, I like, brother's I like the hour. brother zone. Well, well, who's a who's who's a brother, Sengar or Bedek <laughs> oh that stuck out God. to you this week? Who's a brother that stuck out to me this week? I think I think Bryce, my my new, he's a he's a he's a good guy. He really stands out as not an idiot, which I've said is pretty great considering he's just like the guard captain uh i'm excited to see him fight because like multiple times people are just like yeah he could pull a sword out and murder me before i even really thought about that being a possibility so i'm excited for him to fight possibly Mm. uh i think he's my he's my standout brother of the week i mean to hold still up there he hired the big naked man uh and was just like get this man some pants and that's pretty great so aj uh brother standing out to you um, I don't know. I mean, I I just like all the Bedix brothers, really. 
they're all fun in their in their own way. So and uh, last but certainly not least, India Jones, brother for you. Um, definitely Tehol. He uh he made some power moves, <laughs> and he's still funny as hell. Yeah. So I, I gotta say, I'm like I just. I'm on it. The send guards, I just love more than you. And, you know, that's just something we can come to terms with. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, you know? But, um, I think. What'd you like about the send guards? What did they even do? Yeah. Pete, who's your brother of the week? Yeah. <laughs> Our new favorite my segment, brother, brother of, the, of the week. My brother of the week, great question, is Troll. And he's my brother of the week every week. How dare you? No, I don't know. I just feel like, I just feel like the send guards are my, my beautiful sons. And, you know, you just have no respect for them and you don't respect their troll. It just loves his brothers. You know, is that a crime? You know, apparently it's a crime to you to love your brothers. Oh so God. I do think um, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> I just think, you know, when you troll just cares about his brothers a lot, you know, and that's really nice, you know, and I like that. And I like troll. So yeah. welcome to my very strong defense. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, as you could tell, this show really got away from us. Total disaster. Yeah. And what, nah. you know, really, <laughs> I'm going to go to bed now. So right, let's hit stop. Do you wait? Do you want our predictions? No, no. We did brother watch. <laughs> That's enough. We did brother watch. AJ, do you have a prediction you really want to hit us with? No, not really. I was. Uh, I, no. All right. Then let me <laughs> I say, just then, yeah. then let me say this. Email us. A tender- oh, wait. Oh, my f- <laughs> Sorry, I do. I do have one. I do okay, have one. Cut it in. I have one small one. I'm really excited for the Udinas Warlock King Shadow Wraith battle. Uh, that's going to fucking rule. <laughs> and I hope it happens. Well, we'll have to see. And uh, just a final note in this, uh, you know, train wreck of an episode here. Uh, next week, we'll be reading a few more chapters in book two. Um, let us know what you think of the show at 10 Very Big Books at Gmail and Twitter. And uh, I need to go to bed. Yep. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Sweet dreams. Hello, everybody. Producer AJ here, and I'm cold. Thank you so very much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Before I get into the regular credits stuff this week, I just want to let you know that Peter is about to start a very special miniseries with a YouTuber and podcast guest Iskar Jarek. Uh, In this miniseries, the two of them will be talking about the works of Ian Cameron Esselmont, author of the novels of the Malazan Empire series. The first of these special episodes will be coming out soon, so keep your eyes on the feed for that. Uh, The first episode will be about the first of these novels, uh, Night of Knives. They'll be talking about their experiences with the book, and they would love to hear yours as well. You can send your thoughts on Twitter or via email, 10verybigbooks at gmail.com. We've also opened up a channel in our Discord where you can submit questions and comments about Night of Knives. The link to our Discord, of course, is bit.ly slash vbbdiscord. That's capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D, Discord. That link will be in the show notes as well. This miniseries is something made possible by our our generous donors over on our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash 10 very big books. If you'd like to make a donation of your own uh, at the time of this recording, we are at 148 patrons and $496 a month. Uh, thank you so much to anyone who has donated any amount. We appreciate you endlessly. And as always, thank you so very much to Dan Geserich for making our spectacular logo. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Geserich for an awestruck dang. And of course, the wonderful music in today's episode is by the one and only Amaranthin from their album Simulant Rain, which you can find along with their other music on Bandcamp.com. Links to their pages will be in the show notes, and 10 Very Big Books will be back in two weeks on December 4th with chapters 6, 7, and 8 of Midnight Tides. Talk to you then, and thank you so much for listening.
let's tune into the the brother watch brother zone brother bear let's go with brother bear no um, i'm out but, i will leave right now if we call it brother bear the right. brother bear india liked it you know i got my mojo back That's baby hilarious. like austin powers josh you didn't laugh so um <laughs> like <laughs> so <laughs> the bro- the brother box maybe cut all this this is nothing we're doing this <laughs> I, I really have nothing tonight